Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're so thankful that we can call you our Father and that we come as your children and we come as a family. Lord, we're asking for your blessing on Pastor Steve this morning. Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that's working through him, and we pray, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit that works in us will bring our blessing back to him. We thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly and confidently before your throne of grace, knowing, Lord, that you hear and answer, that you love us, you care. So, Father, bless this morning, and, Lord, when we leave today, Lord, give us your love to love our enemies. And, Lord, we thank you and praise you that, that we can come, and, and we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for Pastor Steve. In Jesus' name, amen. Two announcements. I forgot earlier items that uh, can be uh, in your prayer notebook uh, throughout the week. Uh, one, you may have received an email just yesterday. Uh, Cheryl Vandermolen has been having some pain in her knee, and they thought she re-injured it, and she'd been back and forth from the hospital. Uh, what they found out is that she has an infection in her knee that is causing her to be unable to put weight on it, and it's really uh, yeah, it's just excruciating for her. So uh, keep her in your prayer as, uh, as she hopefully can get healed up before her knee surgery uh, next month. And then uh, the second item to pray for is Louise Langland, who um, fell this past week uh, and has now moved uh, into the Oaks uh, for a, it uh, sounds like for from now on and, and uh until she finds a room there, a separate room. Uh, so she'll be there. Uh, I believe our office will have the room number if you want to send her a card or a note or visit her. Uh, so just check in with uh, Cindy at the office. Today we get to uh, finish up the series. You have heard it was said as we, as we go to the last statement that Jesus uh, says uh, you have heard it was said to men of old, or you have heard it was said. What we've been doing is we've been looking at these, what were considered familiar teachings of the day, familiar ways that the rabbis would teach the Israelite people, and how Jesus would reinterpret them or show them how their initial understanding of that specific teaching didn't go to the full extent of what it truly meant. For example, by thinking about individual anger, not just murder. People thought murder was the bad thing. Jesus says, no, it's, it's that anger and that bitterness and that resentment that re resides in your heart that is the, the root of murder. It's what leads to murder. And he said, the, the lustful thoughts that begin in your heart is, is what leads to and is adultery. You know, Jesus talked about the ways that our heart would be transformed and how we would live differently, how we would be people of truth, that we would be able to speak with integrity and truthfulness without having to make promises or swear oaths all the time. And now we heard to this phrase, uh, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy, and Ben and all the other kids preached for me, uh, and we could be done, but, you know, I don't want all this preparation to go to waste, uh, so we'll, we'll continue on in looking at this. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 43 through 47, uh, and we'll begin there. It'll be page 787 in the back Bibles if you have those along with you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? No, do not even the pagans do that. We'll begin with this, what I hope is a familiar statement, at least part of it for us. I hope that the, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor, sounds familiar. Has anyone ever heard of your neighbor before? I'm so glad that I see hands up because uh, for those who, who are just joining us within the last year, last year about this time, we did a whole series where we talked about what it means to love our neighbor. The whole idea was to take that phrase, love your neighbor, and expand on it. The reason we wanted to do that is it's, it's part of our mission statement as a church. We Live for God, love our neighbors, and lead people to Christ, right? We wanted to expand our understanding of what it means to love neighbors. Loving our neighbors isn't just something that is localized to wherever the church is, right? Loving our neighbors isn't just localized to where your house or where your dwelling is and the various people around that, but neighborhood ex extends within those places out into others as well as it's the places you frequent as you get gas at the same gas station every time or as you check the Gas Buddy app and you find out where the cheapest place is, that is part of your neighborhood. As you go to the grocery store, as you go to your places of work, or as you head off to school, your church, your home, on all of those other places that you travel to are your neighborhood. The people you see are your neighbors. So that means our neighbor, our love of our neighbor extends beyond telling our neighbor that it's recycling week to make sure that they pull out their can. It extends beyond simple pleasantries as we wave to those we meet. God's desire for loving a neighbor extends into this genuine care and concern to see the needs of people met, for them to experience shalom. Oftentimes when we think of that word shalom, we 
we think of the word peace. We want them to experience peace, but shalom for the Israelites was something that extended far beyond peace. It was that all of their physical needs would be met, that they would be prosperous, that they would be able to live well on top of experiencing the peace of God, but also the peace within a justice system. All of those things wrapped up in one thing. Loving our neighbor is something that we have this expanded idea around. And for the Israelites, love of neighbor came from the Old Testament. It was do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of seeing neighbors, though, as all the people that they interacted with, like what we would encourage, the Israelites had this fairly narrow definition of what it meant to be someone's neighbor. A neighbor was someone who had the same background as themselves, so they needed to be Israelite. A neighbor was not only someone who had the same background as themselves, but needed to believe the same exact things that they did. Neighbors then were not really the people that were in the market that could be Israelite and be uh, the same, believe the same things, because perhaps they would think, well, there's someone else that lives closer to them than I do, therefore that person is not my neighbor. If we take that as an example, I would say Don and Sherry are surely not my neighbors because they live way out in Hudsonville, and I'm sure there's someone that lives closer to them than I do that can be neighborly, right? That would be the idea that the Israelites would have. It would be determined on where you live, your proximity, and how far, and what they believe, and and who they were. So Jesus begins with this familiar and yet different interpretation of loving neighbor, and he adds something to it, and hate your enemy. Hate your enemy Perhaps we could say we see that in society too. Using the example that uh, Mr. Steve Bootsma used earlier with two of those pictures, there was a Michigan one and an Ohio State one. I've heard of the practice in Ohio, on the campus, anytime they're going to play Michigan, they take tape and put it over all of the M's that are on campus, right? A perhaps hating of one's enemy, so to speak, as they take this duct tape or black tape and put it over the symbol of Michigan, so to speak. But I think More so in society, unlike these simple examples or the dislike of another's team, 
I'm happy my son Ben shouted out the Packers logo. Um, we see it differently in hating one enemy. We, we almost start moving into that Israelite understanding of neighboring, particularly in the political field, don't we? For some, the enemy is the individuals who have a more right-wing Republican understanding of government. For others, the enemy seems to be those who are in the left wing, and if you're an independent, your enemy is maybe both of them. We see, we see this idea of enemy, and we like to point out perhaps the wrong of said party wherever you happen to be on that spectrum. But you may wonder, where was it that Israel had this understanding of hating one's enemy? They didn't have the two-party political system to tell them who the enemy was. So what was it that, that God said, or what interpretation of God's word began to develop that caused them to think they needed to hate their enemy. If we take a, a journey a little bit into the Old Testament, what we find in the Old Testament and in the books of Deuteronomy and in the book of, of Psalms is that we find God's consistent dislike of unrighteousness or his dislike or even hatred of wickedness, his dislike or hatred of those things that are evil, his hatred of evil. We hear these words from Psalm 5. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence and you hate all who do wrong. God here, uh, or the, the psalmist is, is writing about God's perspective of that evil and how evil cannot be in his presence. He is not pleased with the welcoming of, of wickedness into his presence. And if we looked at other passages, we would we would see those things, that God loves the righteousness and hates unrighteousness, that God loves those who are diligent in following him and, and hates those who seek out wickedness. And what happened with the Israelites is they began to take these concepts of righteousness and unrighteousness, of, of doing good versus doing evil, and bringing them essentially into people groups. They, that's how they crafted their narrow view of neighboring because they lived among nations that didn't believe the same things they did. They lived among nations that didn't believe in Yahweh as the God, and so they began thinking that then those nations are wicked nations and those nations are evil and then those people are diametrically op 
opposed from God, therefore the people are an enemy. The people are enemies in which they should then perhaps detest and hate, and you could perhaps see that if you went back in history and saw the treatment of Israelites towards perhaps the Samaritan people. The Samaritans are what Israelites would call half-breeds, so to speak. People that derived from the Gentile people but somehow had some Israelite blood. They would be people that were detested and kept away. So the Israelite people would see those who are not following God as the evildoers to keep away. The twisting of loving your neighbor with the inclusion of hating other individuals. And Jesus, Jesus desires that we understand that we, we, we come over to his side of the picture to put on essentially the eyes of God and begin to see people the way that God sees people. To begin to treat people the way that God treats people. Though God does consistently hate evil and wickedness, he does not stop there, does he? God always looks for ways to bring restoration to the people of Israel, but also to the wider world and creation we saw that as we went through the Jesus Storybook Bible, as each and every story was something that pointed to Christ and the restoration that is coming. When people went astray, God didn't leave them in that place, but instead he went through a process seeking to reconcile himself to people. And we see that Jesus mentions that God's love extends into all people through this verse 45. God causes the sun to rise on evil and good. He sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. It's not like uh, our homes that we're seen as righteous and when the rain comes it only rains with rain on our very property, right? But God brings rain over all the land that they all may receive the benefit of it. God brings the sun and causes it to rise unless you live in Michigan between November and, and March. You kind of see it. It's, you know it's there. There's light. But God brings it upon the righteous and perhaps we could say the unrighteous. God's love extends into creation itself, not just individuals who believe in them. God's love stretches into the lives of all people by way of the creation that he, that he gave us. And, and a familiar verse 
additionally shows us the love that God has for all the world. John 3.16, it's this verse that perhaps is plastered all over different places. Perhaps you've seen it before or you maybe even have memorized it at one time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love that he has for people is a giving love. You can see that right here in this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved that he gave his son. And his son so loved the world that he gave his life. God's love, his giving love that arises from the Father and arises from the Son in in giving his own life, enables that we would experience that love by receiving life. It was Jesus who gave up himself, loving us to the end, you could so say. God's love for his people went to profound extents even when the people themselves could have been considered enemies of God, walking in ways of unrighteousness. God's love didn't have favorites, so to speak. Though he began with Israel, Jesus' message here is that you're kind of not the favorite anymore. You're not the only nation that God loves. You're to extend your love to others just as God himself has extended his love to all of creation. One of the verses that says this concept well for us is Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. You go back to the Old Testament, while we were the evildoers, while we were the ones who were living in wickedness, living in perhaps the very thing that God hated, Christ died for us. While we were still living in means contrary to what God desired of us, he gave his one and only son, and his one and only son gave his life and died for us. The extent of God's love, a self-sacrificial love. Jesus shares with the Israelites the the ones who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, that God's love extends beyond them, even to the people that they would call sinners and tax collectors. Even to the people who had committed adultery. Even to the people that the Pharisees would desire to stone to death. God's love extends even to them. In God's love, his giving love is the 
basis for the love that we have of all people, even those who are our enemies. Those Lion fans, the Vikings fans, the Bears fans, the Ohio State fans, the Republicans, the Democrats, even the Independents. Love extends into those places where maybe you want to hold it back. Love extends, if we think about it today, our love should extend to those very situations Mike spoke about in his prayer as he, he prayed for the families who lost children, who lost loved ones in shooting. What? It's always easy to have the concept of love your enemy until bring a, a senseless act, perhaps, an enemy in that way into the equation. What does it look like for us to say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you if you were someone living in Ukraine? How would they consider loving and praying for Putin? Loving and praying for the Russian infantry, those shooting off the bombs which are going off in cities. What does love of enemy look like for those families who lost their elementary school child? What does love look like? What does what does prayer look like? What does it look like when Jesus takes our idea of neighborhood and love and, and makes it into this global thing where all people on the entire face of the earth are people to be loved and prayed for by us on a regular basis? I don't have all the answers, by the way. But perhaps, perhaps what we could do is begin to, to think about God's kingdom and what he desires to see in his kingdom, and then begin to think about the individuals or people groups that we see as enemy. And begin living in a way that encompasses God's love of people. Earlier in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said to those sitting there that you are the light of the world and a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It was an invitation that Jesus had for the people of Israel to live into the calling that they had to be a blessing to all peoples on the earth. And he invites them into that, and he invites us into that as he, 
he says, love all of those within your neighborhood, and your neighborhood is the world. Just as God has saved those who were once his enemies, we then can now have the power by way of the Holy Spirit to love those who are our enemies. And we can begin to think this way. With the people that we have perhaps identified in our mind as an enemy. And with we with what we know about God's kingdom, what is it that God desires you to do in that relationship? Where is it that God would desire you to take that relationship that you have between your enemies? I think that's, that's step one. Figure out who your enemy is and figure out where is it God is calling you to take this specific relationship. To not just have this theoretical idea, yeah, I love my neighbor, because often the time that we think about, uh, sorry, loving our enemies, maybe we don't do it as often as we'd like to think ourselves. So bring your situation to one specific point Who is my enemy and what is it that God desires for me to bring to that situation within his kingdom? And then after we ask God to reveal to us where it is he wants us to take that relationship, where it is or how it is he desires us to pray for and interact with that individual that we said is our enemy, then we actually do it. That might be the harder one. The Spirit is usually pretty readily available to speak to us, to speak in ways that he would desire us to live into God's kingdom vision of love. And then it's responding to what the Spirit has said to us and truly living out. And living out Jesus' message of love is is not necessarily easy. Jesus was the one that we saw always associating with those people that were seen as evildoers and tax collectors and the people that were were not the neighbors that Israel was supposed to be with. Jesus didn't gain many friends from the Israelite crowd when he began his ministry that way. In fact, he gained their anger and their frustration But because Jesus chose to live out, knowing what the Father had intended him to do, he gave of himself even his entire life to restore an enemy back to God. To restore us back to God. 
And now as we were once enemies, but now have become children of God, it is, it is his desire. And I would say a requirement of our response to the appreciation that we have to God to live in a way where we become the light of the world. That we we truly embody a united church that is a loving community, loving people into the kingdom of God. By step by step taking that individual who is considered an enemy and taking that one step that God asks as we move them one step closer to God's kingdom. And after following this way of reconciliation, of love and care, and as God brings that person on a journey, they really join in our journey as people who were enemies that began that slow process. We call it sanctification as we take a step closer and closer to Christ closer and closer to him, closer and closer to becoming what Jesus says here is a child of God. A child of God who will then begin that same process, joining us on that mission of living for God, of loving our neighbors and leading people to Christ one step at a time. One moment that the Holy Spirit tells you to live in a certain way. One way that God says live this way with this person. And that we would be faithful to it. Just as Christ was faithful to us. Let us go to prayer. Father, we, we thank you for your self-sacrificial love. Your giving love that you would give of your son and that your son would give of his life that we may experience life. Lord, we thank you for the spirit who consistently day in and day out works within our hearts and minds to form them into the image of Christ. And it would be our prayer that we can be people who are not just hearers of your word, but actual doers of your word. That we can consider and think of those who are enemies in our life and think of, of the power of the Spirit, the step that we need to take in that situation to bring the kingdom into it, however difficult and costly it may be. Because nothing is greater than the cost of what you gave for us to experience your love and your life. It's in Christ's name that we pray, through the power of the Spirit. Amen.